This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Hey, this is Pete the Planner, USA Today money columnist and host of the Ask Pete the Planner podcast. When I'm not fixing the weirdest financial situations you've ever heard of, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy 100th day of the year. 100 days. Still got those resolutions you talked about back in January? Fading memory, huh? Well, to help you keep going when it comes to your goals, we welcome artist and author Austin Cleon. Plus, in our headline segment, there's some new exciting legislation working its way through Congress. Will you have some better retirement options in the future? Here to help us break it down, we welcome from TIAA, Chris Spence. All that the Haven Lifeline, a letter from the mailbag, and my amazing trivia about some event egotistically calling itself the Masters. Yeah, right. We'll see about that. And now, two guys who nobody would ever call the Masters. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Of course we're Masters. Masters at donut eating i was gonna say there's another joke there but i'm not allowed yeah no you cracked that one and we said steve take it out wait i did not let the record reflect crack that one but i thought about cracking that one and i would have said steve take that out hey everybody welcome to uh, all the stuff you won't hear podcast i'm joe salsi i average joe money on twitter and across the card table from me it's my buddy og i just read an article in the golf digest they published a couple years ago about what it's like to be a member at augusta it's actually a pretty cool article. Well, you know, if I had your money, I'd go sign up tomorrow. 
Well, the interesting thing, it, it actually says in there that if you let it be known that you want to be a member, that's a surefire way to not get a <laughs> invite. Oh, you want to come to this party? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, thank this you. This is kind of cool, like how they have rules and stuff like that. Like their rules, they're not written down. The keyword is favorably. So if somebody uh, says, hey, you know, let's play a high stakes game of poker. You know, somebody will say, oh, that's not looked on very favorably, which is code for no. That sounds like mom when she says, we'll see. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe. Well, you know how I'm going to get in. I'm just going to tell them. father. Right. I'm just going to tell them. I'm going to walk around Augusta National and I'm going to say, hey, you might not know this, but I go to Magnify Money using the Stacky Benjamins link, stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. And I'll tell you what happens there. You say $450 just by heading to Magnify Money. That's the average money people save when they do things better than their brick and mortar bank, whether it's a better checking account with lower fees, it's a savings account that pays a much higher interest than your brick and mortar's paying, refinancing those awful private student loans that you have, looking at the credit card reward game if you pay off your bills in full. And if you don't, getting those interest rates way down so you pay less money to the man. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. We've got Austin Cleon here today. I'm so excited. It's your crush. How'd you get him back? He totally is my crush. I love that guy's work. It was amazing. I asked and he said, yes. His first appearance, one of our most downloaded episodes of the Stacking Benjamin show. We also have Chris Spence from TIA talking about some cool stuff, OG, working okay. its way through Congress. We might see- Some updations. Yeah, we might see some cool rules, uh, cool new rules for retirement. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Well, Chris Spence is upstairs talking to mom, so let's do our other headline first. This comes to us from Bloomberg. It's written by Senia Galauchko. Staying on the sidelines of the equity rally is starting to really hurt. I thought this was very interesting. This is an international piece. Talk about how markets around the world continue to go up after the fourth quarter uh, downturn last year. Staying away from stocks this year might not have been such a great idea after all. The S&P 500 is closing in on a record high. The stocks Europe 600 index is trading at the highest since August. And both car stocks and Italy's FTSE MIB are set to close in on a bull market today. The German bun yield is dipping below zero, fueling appetite for risk assets. And the latest Euro area services data shows resilience. What's making strategists, including those at Barclays, optimistic that this rally can keep going is that investors continue to avoid equities and are bracing for the worst case scenario. Global stocks are up 14% this year as of the time this was written, but a $79 billion exodus from equity funds and reduction of exposure to a 2016 low spells out a rally that is extremely low conviction. I thought this was phenomenal, and I wanted to bring this low up. Low conviction rally. Such good prose. If the market's up big, let's go over why people at Barclays and elsewhere think this rally's going to continue. Because there's so much money on the sidelines and the market keeps going up, the hurt just keeps getting worse and worse, OG, until people go, I got to get Capitulation? Yeah, I got to get back in. I got to get back That's in. A, I'm messing up too bad. I got to get back. It's another $10 word. Well, I mean, there's all these sayings, right? That the market figures out a way to disappoint the greatest number of people. Uh, you've got 
Peter Lynch's comment about uh, more money's lost in anticipation of the next bear market than in the actual bear market. And this is the point when it comes to staying the course. And of course, none of our listeners did anything silly in the fourth quarter of 2018. <laughs> We're but it's interesting. That. Uh, uh, We're smarter than that? that. Yeah. Well, yeah, except for I still talk to people. It's kind of it's just really interesting the difference between how people think they behave and then how they behave. Even at the individual level is pretty funny. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about they want to wait for the market to pull back before they get in. You know, hey, it's it's up a ton. I should wait for the market to pull back, right? And I said, well, it already happened. I said, what, what do you mean? I said, it happened on Christmas. But nobody at Christmas was thinking. I wasn't thinking. You weren't thinking because we just got our, you know, head pounded in for for an entire quarter. <laughs> you know, market's down a ton compared to where it was at the end of September. And leading into Christmas, the last two days before Christmas were really bad. And so the last thing you thought on Christmas morning was, you know what? I'm going to go get a home equity loan and dump money in the market right now in a 2x bull fund. Nobody thought that. You didn't think about putting extra money in the market either. I mean, it just, it's well, just a, it's, it's, we kept that's hearing you just then, to stay the course. We kept hearing and, to prep for our shows, we read tons and yeah. tons of media. What we kept hearing over and over was this the was the beginning of the long come. downturn. That yeah. was just the beginning. And you know what's funny is that it actually could still be that. You know, it could have gone from September's highs to December's low, back to September's highs, and it could fall off a cliff starting tomorrow. I always ask this question, when do you know the market's down 20%? When it's happened. When it's down 20%. If if your threshold is, well, I'm going to wait until the market comes back. Well, what's your definition of it coming back? Is it back to September's levels? Is it back to, you know, is it up 10%? Is Well, how do, you, how do you know that that happened? And then when it does happen, you get stuff like this on the other side of it that says, yeah, but it's not a really strong rally, you know? Or, hey, it's down 20%. That was your threshold in which you were going to dump money in. And so you you sign a contract that says minus 20, you're going to put money in. That's fine. And it goes down 20. What do you think? Like, I should do it? Or do you go, well, it's not very great right now. Maybe I should I'll wait till it's down 25. But let's be clear here. The reason they're saying it's not a strong rally is because of the huge amounts of money sitting on the sideline. That's the only reason this piece is saying that. What they're saying here is that your average professional thinks it's going to still keep going up and it's actually going to strengthen, not because of economic data, economic data. They say later there's so the much cash in the sidelines. Yeah, there's so much cash and it's going to have to gain conviction. You're going to have, you're going to see people have to finally put some money aside. I think that's just amazing that uh, pros are going yeah, uh, listen, the market's going up, people are messing up, and uh, they're going to have to stop messing up. And because of that, we think the market's going to keep going. <laughs> the mm -hmm. market's going to keep going up. Stay the course. It's crazy. And in our second headline, this piece comes from Yahoo Finance by way of The Motley Fool. It's written by Dan Kaplinger. Will this bipartisan bill end the retirement savings crisis? Dan writes, Congress has tried to create incentives for Americans to save for retirement. 
With retirement saving vehicles like employer-sponsored 401k plans and IRAs, savers are able to set money aside for their golden years in a way that can produce immediate tax savings as well as offer many long-term benefits. Yet, many don't make maximum use of their retirement savings opportunities, and that's created a potential financial crisis among those nearing retirement age. To try to address these concerns, lawmakers recently introduced a new bill to make major changes to the way that Americans can save using these tax-favored retirement accounts. It's called the SECURE Act, standing for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement, and seeks to take several steps toward enhancing the available tax breaks for retirement savers, as well as encouraging more people to participate. What does that all mean? Well, like always, we go to a professional here on the show. On my dad shortwave, I'm so happy that Chris Spence, Senior Director of Federal Government Relations at TIA, was able to take time out of his busy day to join us. Hey, Chris, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing well, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, this seems like really exciting news to me. It seems like uh, much of this is overdue. I would agree with that. This bill, the SECURE Act, I think that piece did a very good job of explaining it. The way I generally explain this comprehensive proposal is that it addresses the three big issues that we have as far as retirement security goes right now, and that's the coverage gap. That's making sure that folks have access to retirement plans, especially through their employers, which that's how most people save for retirement. The savings gap, so it helps encourage people to save more. Also does things to help increase the automatic enrollment and automatic contribution increase rates that are out there already that have done a lot to help people save more. And uh, the guarantee gap, which we think is very important, and that's the idea of making sure that when folks have saved for retirement, Uh, and have saved enough for retirement, that when they get to that point where they need to make sure that money lasts the rest of their lives, they have the tools available to them that help them do that. Well, you and I are both excited by this, but there's people listening right right now going, what exactly are you guys excited about? So so do you mind mind diving into a few of these provisions that are part of uh, what has us so giddy? Sure, absolutely. On the coverage gap side, there is a concept called multiple employer plans. Um, Now, that sounds kind of technical and a little confusing. I'll try to break that down. If you look at the small employers out there, they want to offer retirement plans for their employees. A lot of those small employers, though, may not have the resources, but more importantly, the time to set up and administer a plan. What multiple employer plans allow them to do is kind of allow a lot of small employers to come under the umbrella of one retirement plan. So you imagine you, you're walking down Main Street, you have your, your dry cleaner, your tire shop, your bakery. They could all come under one retirement plan. And that retirement, that would take care of a lot of the administration of that. That would take care of a lot of the expenses, help them take advantage of economies of scale. So that's really a big deal for the small employer market, and that is one of those things that helps address the uh, coverage gap. On the savings gap side, increasing the amount that folks can contribute on an automatic basis, post-Pension Protection Act uh, back in the mid-2000s, this bill was enacted that helped set up automatic enrollment for retirement plans. So in other words, Instead of you starting at a new job and you having to fill out paperwork to start contributing to a retirement plan, 
you're automatically enrolled into that retirement plan. So you're opted into the plan and you have the option to opt out. And that's really helped increase savings rates. But there's also, along with that, automatic increase in your contribution rates over time. There are some provisions in this bill that would help improve the amount that could be that would be contributed on an automatic basis over time. So it would get people saving at higher rates over their careers if they're just letting it go on an automatic basis. The guarantee gap portion, that is the lifetime income piece of this. And really what it's addressing is the 401k system of today is not the defined benefit, the pension plan your father used to have. I know I'm on his shortwave radio. So when the previous generation worked, many of them worked for 20, 30 years. And when they retired from their employer, they were able to get a guaranteed pension. They, they received a guaranteed payment. Now that we're in an environment where people are saving money in a 401k plan, they have access to a pot of money when they retire. So instead of getting a guaranteed income automatically when they retire, they're left with a good pot of money and they have to determine how to save that or how to make that last throughout their lifetimes. What a couple provisions in this would do is help encourage the inclusion of annuity products inside retirement plans so that people have the option, not the mandate, but the option to choose this kind of product when they hit retirement age. I want to go through a few of those, but first there's, there's one other piece of this, which was also the, for our older listeners, requirement of distributions now move from right. 70 and a half to 72. It's, it seems like high time we got rid of this and a half thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that's something that uh, folks are pretty excited about as well. It's been long overdue. There, there have been increases and changes to those rules over time, but it's been a while. So yes, I think moving that up from 70 and a half to 72 and uh, making it a nice round number as well at the same time is, is very helpful. There's a couple other provisions we won't have time to get to, like uh, people can put money into IRAs for a longer period of time. And also, if you're a part-time worker, you'll be allowed to participate in a 401k. But I want to ask some clarifying questions on a couple things, Chris, while we have you. Sure. For, first one is this idea of auto-enrollment. You guys at TIA, right on top of some of those numbers, have you found that to have a really good impact on people saving for retirement? It has. I don't have a specific TIA number on the top of my head right now, but I can tell you that the industry statistics on automatic enrollment show that prior to automatic enrollment legislation being enacted approximately 10 or so years ago, the participation rates in plans was somewhere around 60% or so. Once folks started being automatically enrolled, in other words, they were automatically put into the retirement plan and had to opt out of it, those participation rates went up to close to 90%. So yeah, they, they've been very effective at helping people save more and, and be more prepared for retirement. That is fantastic. I love that. And then the second piece, as you know, Chris, there's some people listening to this driving down the road and they hear the word annuity and they go, oh, yuck. But mm -hmm. I like the idea, first of all, what this legislation I think says, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that on your 401k statement, it'll say, if you put this in an annuity, this is the amount per month you could expect to get, which personally, if well, number one, is that right? That's correct. There are actually three provisions in here uh, related to annuities or lifetime income, and that's one of them. Exactly. Okay. Is 
like you get your social security statement and it shows you how much you can expect to receive on a monthly basis when you start receiving social security. This does the same thing once a year on the benefit statement that you receive from your financial services provider. It'll show you this is your overall accumulation, but let's take a look at what that might mean in terms of dollar amounts at retirement. So yeah, that is one of the provisions in there and that's that that could be very helpful we we believe. Well, I I believe it too cuz you see people that say, "Well, I've accumulated, you know, $800,000." Yet as you know, Chris, you break that down to a monthly number, it's not as big as you think it would be. Exactly. Everything's very accumulation focused in the 401k space, which is fine. We want people to think about saving as much money as they can. But just like you said, some folks might project that they'll have $200,000 when they retire and they'll think that's the most amount of money I've ever seen in my life. I'm not going to have to worry about anything. You show them what that money looks like as a monthly income, that changes things, that sparks more retirement savings, that leads to better preparation for retirement. I want to talk about one more thing about annuities in, in, in particular and stress that this doesn't say that you have to put money in annuity, I think you said. Correct. Overall, it just removes a couple barriers that uh, 401k providers see to providing annuities in their retirement plans. And without getting into details about what those barriers are, I will say that in TIA's experience, employers understand the importance of including annuities in their plans as options for investments, as options for retirement. But there are a couple barriers out there that prevent them from doing that. And they understand it's no longer the you get a gold watch and a pension payment when you retire at 65. You have a pot of money, and it's very important that you make that pot of money last for as long as you can, and annuities play an important role in that. But we certainly don't think that anybody should be mandated to take an annuity or that they're necessary for every single person out there, but everybody should consult with a retirement planner. And most folks will find that an annuity is an important piece of their retirement income puzzle. Well, and I love that advice, especially since I know that TIA is on the forefront of getting back to the basics with annuities and cleaning up some of these ugly fees that people often complain about. Yeah, you said it before. Somebody might be driving down the road, they hear the word annuity, and there's a bit of an aversion to it. But I think that aversion is clearing up. And I think, again, if we can get these products at least available in retirement plans, people can be more educated on them. Essentially, TIAA, when we were founded 101 years ago, we were founded as a pension plan you know, providing annuities. And over the years, we've grown into what I consider a hybrid plan of we are a 401k where people save, but they save with us and they have the option to save in annuities. And when they get to retirement, they have the option to convert all of their savings if they want, but usually it's part of their savings into an income stream that will be guaranteed for the rest of their lives. And, you know, I think if you talk to most TIA clients who have had an annu- access to an annuity throughout their careers, their aversions to annuities are probably much, much lower than you would find in the general public. Back to this legislation, Chris, before I let you go, because I'm, I'm running way over time. It seems to me that this legislation actually has a chance of passing. And as Senior Director of Federal Government Relations, 
I think that means your job has been a lot of gridlock lately. Uh, am I right in thinking that? Does this, does this bill have a shot? Yeah, I think so. I think if you look at the way that this particular bill, the SECURE Act, was put together, Chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, Richie Neal, led that effort. He worked closely with Kevin Brady, with Mike Kelly, with Ron Kind, all of these members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, and he made sure that this bill is truly a bipartisan affair. It was it passed out of the Ways and Means Committee, which means the Ways and Means Committee approved it by a unanimous voice vote. So it's, it's got that support. I feel like it has a lot of momentum behind it. And my job as a federal government relations professional here in D.C. is to try to make sure that happens. Well, that's exciting news, Chris. And by the way, if you're driving down the road on your commute, walking the dog, whatever it might be, I'll link to this piece uh, from Dan Kaplinger at The Motley Fool by way of Yahoo Finance on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Chris Spence, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes and kind of explaining what's going on here. This is great news. Joe, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me and thanks for your interest in the topic. Some possible good news there, OG, but as Chris said, it ain't a law yet. I'd like for him to get rid of the 70 and a half thing. Yeah, go to 72. Can we just just make it a normal birthday? Or how about this one? It's by April 1st, the year following, the year in which you turn 70 and a half. It's like, can it just be on your 72nd birthday? I remember diagramming that for clients. Here's here's the way this whole thing works. See, you divide by two. I turned 70 and a half. Do I have to? No, no. You have until April 1st. But if you wait until April 1st, the year following the year, you turn 70 and a half, then you have to take two that year. So that actually may work out worse for you than just doing it the year in which you turn 70 and a half or like beneficial requirements for distributions. If you're a beneficiary IRA by December 31st, the year following the year in which the decedent, you could tell it's written by lawyers and not real people. Well, but that's what I deal with this crap. That's what I like about this new legislation though. It cleans up a lot of stuff. I mean, just cleans up so much. So, but number one, I think our takeaway here is don't act on anything until something actually is a law. Too many people spend too much time talking about stuff that isn't actionable. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, what happens if? Yeah, yeah. If maybe, I win the lottery, what what should I do? Seriously, those are my favorite articles on on like <laughs> like if you're the lucky Powerball winner, here's the first thing you should do. It's like, do you really spend any time thinking about that? Yes. <laughs> Especially if you never bought a ticket. <laughs> like it's you know, it's like there is zero point zero 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 chance that I will percent chance that I will win the lottery. I think our second takeaway is uh sitting on the sideline with your money. Keep doing it. Make us all rich. <laughs> He is my favorite writer about business, and I think it's probably because he approaches business, business from a business, whole different, business. a whole different way than any other business writer I've ever, I've ever seen. Austin Clay, I would not call himself a business writer. He called himself an artist who speaks about creativity, about finding your audience, and uh, well, his works, his New York Times bestselling works, "Steal Like an Artist." Show Your Work, and Newspaper Blackout, all New York Times uh, bestsellers. He has spoken at organizations like Pixar, Google, done a TEDx, has uh, spoken at South by Southwest. I saw him speak at USAA. Uh, he's been here on the show with a much, 
much downloaded uh, interview. I'm sure he's going to bring it today. Say hi to guy I'm happy to call my friend, Austin Cleon. And here he is back for a repeat performance. We're so happy he came back. Austin Cleon in the basement. How are you, man? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. You ready? It looks like you're going to be touring the nation's libraries over the next couple months. Libraries, bookstores, a couple of bars. It's going to be fun. I think the bars are probably would be my favorite. That's when creativity really blossoms, isn't it? Unless you get past two. I mean, you'd think so. I try not to get on stage with beer in me, but we'll see. (laughs) 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 Who knows how crazy he gets after that? Try to save it for afterwards. I thought about you about a week and a half ago. Cheryl, my spouse, and I were walking through the Detroit Institute of Art, and I'm going to apologize because I'm not going to remember the artist who did the piece, but the piece included a quote by Camus, and I also didn't take a photo of it, so I've Camus the philosopher, people don't know who we're talking about. I've looked it up, trying to find it for this interview, can't find the exact word, so I'm just going to tell you my takeaway. My takeaway was Camus says there's two ways to look at people. The first way is, is there are these brilliant people among us who all of a sudden comes up with this wonderful innovation and create something great. Or there's another way to look at it, which is we all have some creativity inside of us. We all create incremental improvements on the back of each other. And then somebody at some point, maybe a little more outstanding, maybe not a little more outstanding, kind of puts the star on the top of the tree and then they get all the accolades and everything. Where do you stand on that? Well, I think Camus is talking about what I call genius versus senius. And genius was the former there where there's just these special people that kind of are sent to the world and they're like uh, the vessels for God or the muse or whatever. And then there's another thing that the music producer and musician Brian Eno talks about, and that is Senius. And Senius is the collective version of genius. And what it simply means is that whenever you see a great artist or someone's like really wonderful work that kind of rises to the top, like he says, there's usually a whole network of people behind them that were kind of stealing and sharing from each other and making things happen, that kind of work that you don't see. And so I would definitely subscribe to the second version, Senius. And I think that's been true in my work. And I think it's been true in most everyone's work that I've ever studied. Even someone as great as Beethoven, who I think is, you know, probably closest to genius that we'll get on this planet. You know, Beethoven came from a musical family and had a lot of patrons and had a very rich scene and Vienna to kind of work off of. And so even the greats, there's a scene behind them. It kind of puts a point on something you also talk about with it, which is this concept of having a, a bliss board. Like it seems like for you to kind of plug into that, that uh, seniors means every day, take a look at your bliss board and seeing what really makes you fired up. Yeah. I have what I call bliss station, which is a place where you go to connect with yourself after you've been connected to the world. Because that's really the two. And you could think about what Camus was talking about in terms of connection and disconnection. So 
in the genius idea, we are kind of disconnected from the world and just connected with what's inside of us or what we're channeling. And then in the senius concept, we're connected to things and, and then we find our work. I think there's actually two modes in creative work. One, we have to be connected to others so that we might be inspired and find out what kind of resonates within us and, and what leads to our work. But then we also have to have a time where we're disconnected from the world so that we can take all that stuff that we've sort of absorbed and do something with it. And so the bliss station is about that. We kind of live in this time now where it's very hard to be disconnected from your seniors, right? You're always have this little black rectangle that you carry around and it it's constantly vibrating and <laughs> sending you messages and stuff. And you can be connected at any point that you want to be. The real fight now as a creative person is to get disconnected long enough to figure out what it is that you have to say and do something about it to actually make work. I high five myself when I, when I read you saying life in airplane mode, not a bad thing. Yeah. Airplane mode can be a way of life. I love taking a thing like airplane mode on your phone and, and thinking about it kind of concretely. There's an artist who I love named Nina Kachadorian, and she has this art series called Seat Assignment, where every time she gets on a long flight, she gives herself an art assignment where she has to make a piece of art using nothing but what she packed, what's on the airplane, and her mobile phone. And she's been doing this since, I think, 2000 and. 10 maybe she's been doing this for a really long time and she comes up with these wonderful things she makes these really interesting images out of like in-flight magazines and she folds her sweater up into these gorilla faces and then she goes in the lavatory and makes these fake duck dutch portraits using toilet paper it's it's really fun and really funny and what i love about it is that she's figured out a way to use her phone for good you know, like because she's using her mobile phone to make this art, but it's in airplane mode and she's literally on an airplane. And like that's how she's figured out a way to churn out work. And I think we can all figure out how we can be in airplane mode. You know, it's not just for an airplane. It's for any time. I think it's powerful because, uh, as you also know, many of us wake up and what is the first thing we do? We get on somebody else's list by checking our messages. We immediately check to see the news, which is always depressing. And always. In instead, airplane mode puts you back in the driver's seat. It does. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with knowing what's going on in the world, but you have to have some time. And this was Joseph Campbell's. That was his kind of insight is that there has to be a time of day in which you don't know what's in the papers. You don't know what's on Twitter and nobody can get to you where you can access that kind of blissful time. And that's that was Joseph Campbell's idea of the bliss station. We think about efficiency a lot on this show, obviously, ostensibly being a money show, supposedly. Mm -hmm. The last time you were here, you and I talked a little bit about side hustles. And, mm -hmm. and I, you go on a side hustle rant, I'll call it. Maybe not a rant. I kind of saw it as a rant because we rant a little bit here. But I love, sure. the, I, I love your anti-side hustle thinking here. Talk about this because I think what you're saying is efficiency isn't always the best way. Well, there's a difference between efficiency and kind of exhaustion. I think that what we're hitting with the side hustles now is that, let's face it, it's getting harder and harder to make a living um, in a lot of ways. And, and life is just simply getting more expensive. 
there's a great chart that goes around that shows you like how cheap TVs and like cell phones and stuff like that have gotten while like the cost of healthcare and food yeah. <laughs> and lots of, you know, these things that actually keep you alive versus these things that kind of distract you from the fact that you're not being kept alive. But you could go on forever, like monetizing every single aspect of your life. And that's not what life is about. Life is not about monetizing everything. Life is about having enough money that you can live and do what you want to do. I think one of the problems with this kind of connected entrepreneurial Shopify Etsy kind of moment we're in is that people feel a real pressure the minute they show a talent for something to monetize it directly. You know, I mean, we've all been at a party and someone's brought in a really good tray of cupcakes and somebody says, man, you could, you could start a bakery you know, or like, you know, someone knits a really nice sweater and says, oh, you could have an Etsy store, you know. I mean, we're, we've trained ourselves now to give compliments in market terminology, but hobbies sometimes are best kept hobbies, you know. Sometimes people knit because they love to knit and it takes their mind off things, you know. I was also, um, I was also reading recently, Austin, that just in terms of feeding your soul, and mm-hmm. studies that have been done have shown that this idea of gift giving in the first place is an empowering soul feeding thing. So turning it into a business and selling it versus giving the sweater away. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it doesn't always come back to the just helping yourself all the time, but it also helps you to give it away. Yeah. I mean, there's a wonderful book called The Gift by a guy named Lewis Hyde, and it, it can be a tough one to get through. But the essential idea of the gift is that art in particular exists in two worlds. There's the gift economy and there's the market economy. What Hyde talks about is that truly great art, it has to have some portion of a gift giving aspect to it. You know, the artist is sort of awoken to their gifts by the gifts of others. And then they take that gift and they pass it on. And there has to be some sort of gift-giving element to your work as a creative person in order for you to kind of feel whole. And so that gets very tricky. And you can watch artists constantly navigate this kind of hard world between doing what you feel is right with your gift and and making money. You know, that's always the the art and commerce tension is always there in every field. And it's always fun. I I always bring up actors. Actors are my favorite people to think about this in terms of because, you know, you can watch George Clooney or somebody like that. You know, he'll do a big blockbuster and then he'll go away and he'll do an art film. And the, the blockbuster sort of pays for the art film and, and so I was reading a story about Michael Caine, I think, said that he did a Jaws because he wanted a swimming pool or, you know, something like that. Or he wanted a new house or something like that. You know, so there's it's always interesting to watch creative people try to navigate this. And it's it's never solvable. I mean, the only way you solve it is if you, you know, have enough a trust fund, I guess, or enough to live on indefinitely or something like that. But it's usually something that artists just have to keep working on. It never really works out. Well, and, that, and that's what I was about to ask you is that if I'm giving away the side hustle idea, huh? but because I just like making cupcakes and I don't yeah. want to make money off them and life is becoming more expensive. Like yeah. how do I, how do I bridge that gap? You're saying it's an kind of an unknowable equation. 
Well, I mean, it's just it's so personal and it's everyone has to deal with it on their own terms. I don't think there's any nifty formula, but I do think one formula is if you turn cupcakes, which is your hobby, um, into your bread winning, at some point you're probably going to have to find another hobby yeah. or you're going to have to find some sort of time in which you can bake cupcakes uh, purely for your own pleasure. Because I think the thing that happens is, and everyone who's done this knows that the minute you turn something you love into your job, it, it does become a job. And so then you need to find a way to kind of disconnect from your job in order to have a whole healthy life. <laughs> Speaking of your job, I want to talk about that because you open up the book talking about that, about this concept of Groundhog Day. And I like how how you take a uh, how you take a Bill Murray movie and 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 wind really the book up from there and send it out into the world. Tell me about this concept of living life as if it's Groundhog Day. I think really great creative thinkers and creative workers they have a daily practice that they have in their life because the problem with creative work is it doesn't matter what level you achieve someone is always going to ask you, so what's next for you? You know, like it doesn't matter if you just won the Pulitzer Prize or you won an Oscar or a Tony Award or whatever. The thing people always ask is, what's next? What do you got for us now? And I think that no matter what, the creative person knows that they're going to have to get up in the morning and they're going to have to do it all over again. And so I think the people that survive that and they survive a long career establish some sort of daily practice or daily habit in which they kind of do their work every day, no matter what happens. They don't really worry about yesterday. They don't worry about tomorrow. There's just kind of the day and what you can do with it. And Groundhog Day is really just this wonderful kind of modern parable that shows you the results of getting in that mindset. Because as people who have seen it or haven't seen it know Bill Murray wakes up every day and he's stuck in this small town on Groundhog Day and he has to relive the same day over and over. But eventually he finds out that having a day-to-day approach to life can be a liberating thing and it can be a thing that you use to find yourself and to work on yourself. See, I found this powerful, not from the creative aspect, Austin, but I, I, I found it fascinating because we have listeners who do repetitive tasks all day. Some of them mm-hmm. who listen to this podcast to try to help them make it through that repetitive process day. Sure. But, 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 but taking that job in a factory and making it so that you're in your head making it the best version of that day ever, even though it's another conveyor belt of a day, I thought was yeah. a really empowering way to kind of live through that day and make us all a little more creative. Yeah. And I mean, it's not an original idea by any means. I mean, it's also, I mean, I took a lot of that chapter straight from AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, that's one of their principles. You just take one day at a time and take things day by day. When we worry too much about the past or we worry too much about the future, it's really paralyzing. And so to take one day at a time and to see the day as a kind of blank page that you get to fill however you want, that's a really powerful thing, like you said. I feel like going back to philosophers, I feel a little bit like uh, Plato there with the with the chair trying to be the best chair it can be. Like, right. I, like I feel like that. We, even with this podcast, I feel like there's this vision of what I want the podcast to be in every episode. We get a little, you know, we get a little closer. Someday, a little closer. Someday, yeah. this thing in my head and what comes out are going to be exactly the same thing. 
And even if you fall off with one podcast, you know you're going to do another one, and so you can get back to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, very, very powerful. I want to follow up on two more things, and then unfortunately, I'm I'm out of time. One is a lot of people talking about getting away from the list. Lists are controlling, control your day. You say you you love lists. Yeah, I love lists, and I've been thinking a lot about this lately um, in terms of daily routine because if you're someone who's in a chaotic time in their life, as I am right now, I'm kind of in between projects, I'm about to go out on the road, and I'm not going to be able to have the same routine that I usually do at home. And so lists, in a sense, are going to keep my life organized while I'm kind of on the road and I'm in this time of upheaval. I mean, I think lists are just ways to kind of rein in some of the chaos of life. And I give you a really specific example. You know, normally in my day, I get up and I write and then we go out for a walk and yada, yada, yada. But on the road, I might have to get up and immediately take a shower and hop on a plane. And so instead of having a routine in which the day kind of unfolds in the same way every day, what I do is I have a list. I have a simple checklist of things that I have to get done today in order to feel like a whole person. And so that might just be like, write my diary, take a walk and read a book and I'll be good for the day, you know, no matter what else is going on, you know? And so sometimes I think lists can make up for a harried day or a weird routine. Especially when you're on the road, because it feels like, at first it always feels like vacation. So I eat like crap and do yeah. the wrong thing, stop working out. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a whole other show that is, on the road. That is a whole different show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my last question is this. We've all had days that do not go the way we want them to go. How do we put a cap on that? Because as you know, it's hard to rein your brain at the end of a day and go, you know what? That was crap. And if you yeah. don't watch out, that can feed into the next day. How do you cap that off and do it? Do your Groundhog Day again the next day? Well, Ralph Waldo Emerson had the terrific advice that that I think is worth passing on. And he said, finish each day and be done with it, which sounds easy. But one thing that I I try to do is at the end of the day, I try to unplug completely. So I try to like turn off the phone. Sometimes I'll write in my notebook about what I did accomplish in the day, if anything, or sometimes I'll write down what went wrong or whatever, and then I might write down what I want to get done tomorrow, and then I simply close that notebook, and then I just try to get into the dream state so I can fall asleep. And a lot of the the, the way I do that, the easiest way is I read books, and that kind of puts me. So you know, you kind of take an accounting of the day, and then you close that accounting book, and you try to do something that kind of lulls you into the dream state so you can face another one, I guess. What are you reading now? What am I reading right now? I'm, I just got done with a book called Dryer's English, which is a guide to, boy, that sounds really exciting when I say <laughs> it, but it's a guide to copy editing and a guide to writing, but it's very funny and very accessible for anyone who has to write anything. Um, and my favorite book of the year so far, I think, has been Susan Orlean's The Library Book, mm. uh, which is about the L.A. library fire in the 80s. That was, that was a terrific, terrific book. I'm hoping to read more when I'm on the road. I bet you'll have a little bit of time on planes. A little bit. A few plane flights. Unless you decide to take up making your own toilet paper stuff in the bathroom with your phone. I might take a lead from Nina and (laughs) and do do my own uh, seat assignment. (laughs) The book is called Keep Going, 10 Ways to Stay Creative in Good Times and Bad. Available everywhere, Austin, I assume. Everywhere books are sold. So awesome to see you again, my friend. Good luck with the book tour and thanks for including us. 
thanks for having me down here, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and unfortunately, we have ourselves a little situation here. Joe's mom's friend Gertrude and I were just discussing this golf tournament thingamabob called the, the Masters, and it's coming up this weekend, apparently. And Gertrude totally changes the subject on me, but in this really weird way that I, I got to share with you. She started some inappropriate conversation about how she and Joe's mom were headed to the club and how Joe's mom was a real swinger who likes to play in foursomes. What is that? I mean, talk about awkward. Who even says that stuff out loud? And about Joe's mom, I I can't believe that, about Joe's mom. I made sure Gertrude knew, I knew, how inappropriate she was being and came right down here and turned on the mic. Pros stick to their job and don't talk smack about their friends, know what I mean? To show my professionalism, here's today's trivia question, which, frankly, I'm asking about because I have no clue. So, this weekend is this so-called Masters Golf Tournament. What color is the jacket a Masters winner wears. I don't even know if that sentence makes sense, but I gotta find out. I'll be back with the answer and hopefully some soap to suggest Joe's mom washes Gertrude's mouth out with in just a moment. If you're somebody who's not sure how to beat the interest rates offered by your brick-and-mortar bank, well, you are in luck because we owe a big thank you to Magnify Money for supporting this show. I know that many of you may owe Magnify Money a thank you for all the stuff that they've done for you based on the feedback that we've gotten from our listeners. So here is what you do to check out Magnify Money. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. And you may hear me typing it in right now as I speak. And initially what will happen is it comes to our page, which starts off with the best offers for balance transfers. But you'll see that balance transfers is underlined. By the way, the reason you do a balance transfer is if your debt's at a high rate, you can find a card maybe that gives you a lower rate, maybe an introductory rate. So for balance transfer cards, you just click on that link and it'll give you the best deals with also the best terms. Remember, it's not just about the interest rate. It's also about the terms. And I'll give you an example. Some of these balance transfer cards will let you transfer the balance and get maybe 0% for the next three months on the new card. But If you've got a dime left, the second that you get past three months, everything reverts to whatever the interest rate is, uh, the new interest rate, and it's usually pretty high. So you get smacked with a ton of interest at the end. That's why I like the fine print score that Magnify Money has. It's not just balance transfer those. They do cashback rewards, intro 0% interest, credit cards, low interest cards, secured cards, for people just starting out. Then when it comes to bank accounts, how about low fee or no fee checking accounts, savings accounts with a higher interest rate, linked checking and savings, CD rates. Then when it comes to loans, refinancing those parent plus loans, uh, student loans, some of the private student loans out there just at horrible interest rates, personal loans, auto loans. If you have to have a loan to buy your next ride, you want to try to pay cash for that if possible. Small business loans, Man, and it goes on and on. And then, not only that, Magnify Money also has an award-winning blog and lots of tools like balance transfers versus personal loans, a money personality quiz, a credit card payoff calculator, how much house you can afford, and more. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money tells them that we sent you. So thanks for using our link when you go there. 
Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and man, is Gertrude hard-headed. Jeez, I mean, I, I told her, hey, nobody talks about what Joe's mom does in her spare time, but she doubled down on me. Apparently, according to Gertrude, Joe's mom likes going out and foursomes, and she spends as much time as she can at the beer cart, which then means she ends up on the beach. I told her, listen, lady, I'll have no more of this disgusting talk. And I came right back down here to the basement to finish the trivia, which I did find out about during the break. Turns out that the winner of the Masters Golf Tournament wears a green jacket, which I'm sure would make you stand out like a sore thumb at the Sizzler. I mean, only dorks would wear a green jacket to the Sizzler. Everyone knows a plaid sweater vest is the ticket there. Speaking of ticket, time for me to tell Joe's mom her so-called friend has been saying horrible things about her. See ya! Big thanks to Austin Cleon for coming down to the basement and hanging out with us. It is, oh gee, it is so hard to keep going. It's so hard to, <laughs> to keep on keeping on. Some days are harder than others. Some days so much harder than like others. right now. <laughs> Especially with this head cold. When all you can think about is... I thought you were going to say with his head case. With his head, <laughs> head case sitting across the table from across me. Across the table from me. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. And you know what? We asked you what you value first in our Facebook group. Head to, by the way, stackybenjamins.com forward slash basement if you want to hang out with us there. Uh, Joshua Moore says two things he values most, OG. 2 a.m. Doritos Locos Tacos and Diet Mountain Dew. Isn't Diet Mountain Dew an oxymoron? Yes. <laughs> like, like, what's the point? Like, just, if you're going to kill yourself, do it quick. Just go for the whole thing, man. Yeah. Come on. It's Mountain Dew for goodness sakes. And 2 a.m. Fourth Meal. It's a brilliant marketing play, by the way. Like, they can't compete. That's a blue ocean strategy. Like, create a new thing to compete in that no one else is competing mm. in fourth meal. Earl, we aren't uh, competing on breakfast, lunch, or dinner. What do we do? (laughs) New meal. (laughs) What do we call it? Fourth meal. Uh, hmm. Brilliant. (laughs) You get a promotion. Probably happened, actually. And then meanwhile, the accountant down the the way goes, and I got a way to save money. Because it's 2 a.m., nobody will know this isn't really meat. It's going to be 30% more expensive, and we can use pigeon. Taco Bell, we're just kidding. Please. Slander. No, no letters. Here it comes. Libel. Yes. Cease and desist. But in all seriousness, have you have you actually been to a Taco Bell? I, I have. Recently. I I have. I was there uh just over a month ago. During the daylight too. I On was purpose. I was I was surprised that that place uh yeah, and I wasn't day drinking. <laughs> I'm like, was there like a drug deal going down that you had to be part of or break up or something like what i was so surprised i'm like this place exists in the daylight i never knew never knew yeah i went there on purpose it was a road trip and pulled off the highway and there was taco bell and about three miles later you had to pull off again <laughs> i thought be real careful on those road trips i mean you gotta stick to like protein bars and water you i start thought, mucking with a 10 pack of soft tacos Supersized or now supremed, supreme, supreme pack, <laughs> 10 soft tacos. 
It's like, mm, what <laughs> what could I possibly get at this rest stop that I can get all over my lap while I drive? I know. Yeah. And make it so I guarantee you have to stop at the next exit. <laughs> There's nothing better than that. Uh, Joshua, those aren't the two. It's actually your loved ones and your time. But, you know, a loved one over tacos. It's a wonderful time. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. That's stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Super affordable prices, policies issued by Mass Mutual. They're 160 years old, over 160 years old. So you know it's a company that's not some brand new. Better Earl, on the block. Right. Earl's Life Insurance. No, we'll be around. It's all simple. It's all online. They've streamlined everything. And today, we're throwing out the lifeline to our new friend, Harvey. Say hi, Harvey. Hi, Joe and OG. I'm holding out hope that maybe this will be the year that I actually learn something from you guys. Perhaps you can help me with my question about rental real estate. My wife and I will close on our dream home later this month and are trying to decide what we should do with the condo that we bought six years ago and are currently living in. Should we sell it now and use the equity to increase our down payment on the dream home from 10 to 20%? Or should we turn it into an investment property and put the profits towards extra payments on our new mortgage? We rented it out for a couple of years, so we know that it has a positive cash flow. Selling now would save us more on interest and PMI over 30 years, but we would obviously miss out on any future appreciation. We are already fully funding our retirement accounts and have no debt other than the two mortgages. I'll probably ignore all your advice, but at least I'll look good in the free t-shirt until my wife watches Marie Kondo again and takes all my clothes to Goodwill. Thanks, guys. She would, she would never, by the way, thanks for bringing it, Harvey. We've been assessing these lately and nice job, Harvey. But, uh, but Marie Kondo would never take your Stacky Benjamins tea though. They're too comfortable. It sparks crap loads of joy. Mm -hmm. Like every time people, people see you in your Haven Lifeline, greatest money show on earth t-shirt sparks joy. Just saying. Mm -hmm. So but I guess, Harvey, she would throw away your other shirts because this one sparks way more joy. So question, become a landlord or sell it, OG? Well, that's the question. Do you want to be a landlord or don't you? Is it in the same area? Can you manage the property? Are you going to outsource the management of the property? Personally, I want nothing to do with screening tenants, selecting tenants, fixing toilets, shoveling snow, mowing grass. I don't want to do any of that sort of stuff. So if you can take that out of the equation, because I would rather spend that time doing other activities that I find that spark more joy for me. And maybe it's just, you know, being with family or more, you know, hobbies or just regular work, you know, that I don't have to dedicate to this. And you're still profitable. And that's something you want to do. Yeah, do it. I mean, you've already got it. So and you know, it works. Make it happen. If you don't want to do those things or you look at it and you say, well, we did rent it out. But, yeah, that did suck when I had to go in there and paint everything. And the only reason it was profitable was because we had that one corporate reload deal that, you know, that they gave us a whole bunch of money up front. And if there's asterisks next to your profitability from before, then I wouldn't do it. But if you can break even or or make a few bucks and, like you said, aggressively help to pay down one of the mortgages, with other people's money, I would do that. Yeah, it's it's funny because when we look at the North American REIT index, which is not the same as buying individual houses, but still it's the closest thing we have to a barometer of how real estate performs 
real estate's a fine thing to own in mass over longer periods of time, like stock, like stocks are. And with one piece of real estate, you could do very well, but, but I'm totally with you. That was my first question too, OG. Do you want to be a renter? Because of all the things that you said, there's so much that goes into it. And then, um, but then also I think you have to evaluate where that house is and that particular market, not just over the short term. Like I might be a little worried if you're in San Francisco now. Yeah. Because of the fact that appreciation's been so phenomenal um, that maybe you don't get something like that. I mean, there's this reversion to the mean, right? Over long periods of time. And if, if you've, if you've done way, way, way better than the mean might mean the next 20 years might not be as good. So I think you have to be honest with yourself also about the next many years. Um, you were talking about PMI also, just make sure that you have a mortgage that you can get out of PMI. Yeah, good I've point. actually run into people recently because we had it, we had, we put 10% down on our house. We paid extra on it and the house appreciated and it was a giant cluster F to get it removed. But I've also talked to people that have said, Oh yeah, my mortgage is, and and I'm not familiar enough with them to know what the difference is, but there's different types of mortgages that you can't get rid of PMI. So don't get stuck in that and, and have that extra couple hundred bucks or whatever it is every month forever. Cause that would change my opinion on this, but use the extra cash flow from the rental property. If you can to, get to that 20% number, 25% number so you can get rid of your PMI. That'll that'll free up extra cash flow. That's the biggest bang for your buck right now. And then after that, then just kind of look at the two properties and figure out which one do you want to pay. I, I guess I'd probably want to pay off my primary first because then I've always got, I've got my dream house that's paid for. Why wouldn't I pay off the other one first? Because probably at a higher interest rate. Well, I don't know if it is. Well, you're right. I guess if he took out the mortgage when it was, when he was the primary. Yeah. I mean, it might be a lower balance, it might be something, you know, you've lived there for six years. Yeah. You know, you can kind of hammer on it. Yeah. But, um, on ours as a landlord, I just compared interest rates and balances. Our, mm-hmm. our rental house is uh, a much smaller number with a higher interest rate. Pretty easy decision there for me to yeah. go after the Well, it's also a little first. bit more exciting to like see the progress, <laughs> you know, when you are, uh, paying on your mortgage on the first month of your new mortgage. It's like so depressing for like the first 10 years anyway, but this is kind of, I guess whatever makes most sense, but yeah. Yeah. I think we talked, the biggest thing is to take that cash flow and do something with it. Don't take the 600 bucks a month and fold it into your vacation budget. Yeah. Take that money and put it It, into another long-term investment. It needs to go somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the question, Harvey. Great question. Way to step up. Uh, We also get letters down here in the basement. Kevin writes, silly question. Can you exchange exchange traded funds like you can mutual funds for rebalancing? Or is the only option selling ETFs to rebalance? I tried searching on Google, but exchange and trade were horrible keyword options for this question. (laughs) And I I tried swap, and that set me in a whole different direction. Oh, Kevin. A rabbit hole that Kevin didn't want to, maybe he did want to get into. Maybe, maybe he did. That's his excuse. Hey man, I was just looking at our investments. I've had that recently where I'm trying to like find a very specific answer to something. And the topic is so general that I can't find the, the niche that needs to the vein of Google in which I need to find this answer. It's like, you go, can I exchange exchange traded funds? It's like BlackRock exchange traded funds, Vanguard exchange. You're like, no, 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 no. Like I have a specific question about them. You know, you can't mine do was, it. mine was about something else, but, uh, 
that shit was frustrating. I just gave up. Um, uh, no, you can't. Because when you exchange a mutual fund, you're not exchanging it. You're selling it. It's just a, it's just a different word that they're using. For capital loss purposes, that's the reason you'd want to do that. Uh, rebalancing, I guess, too. But you've got the S&P 500 fund. You put $10,000 in it, and now it's worth $8,000. And you say, oh, I should, you know, I want to be fully invested, but I should capitalize this loss. So you sell your $8,000 IVV S&P 500 fund, and then you buy $8,000 worth of the SPY S&P 500 fund, which is a different fund altogether. Now you still have the same exposure. And so when the market rebounds, which eventually it does, you still capture all the gains, but you've got in your back pocket this $2,000 capital loss now. So this is the same form and function of doing it with a mutual fund. If you do it within a mutual fund company, generally speaking, they don't charge transaction charges for that. Selling ETFs, you may end up having a commission or something like that, but uh, it's a few bucks. Here, by the way, is the reason why Kevin might be asking that question is because at some brokerage houses, if you keep your mutual fund inside of the same family, if you're buying specifically through one family, you can exchange those without fees. So you can go from mutual fund A, especially when you're in commission, uh, commission-based funds like the Alphabet Soup, or maybe you paid a front-end fee to get into a mutual fund, you can go into funds in the same family without paying that fee again. So often when I find people, let's say they had um, uh, Putnam funds or uh, Oppenheimer or maybe uh, Franklin Templeton funds, we might try to look for a fund inside the same family so that they didn't have to go through that process again. That that probably, OG, is what Kevin's referring to when he talks about exchanging. Yeah, in terms of experience, that's what it is. But the phrase exchange yeah. just means sell one, buy another. There is something that exchange-traded funds do on the inside that uh, mutual funds can't do on the inside, which is exchange-traded funds do exchange the positions. So they they actually swap in and out, and because of some loopholes in the rules, exchange-traded funds get, get um, favorable tax treatment versus mutual funds when it comes to the the guts of an exchange-traded fund, which makes them, outside of a an IRA, if you're just purchasing it without any tax shelter, ETFs for that reason, if you can minimize the trading cost, give you a little bit better tax treatment than a mutual fund will. Thanks for the question, Kevin. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com and at the top of the page, you'll see all the ways that you can interface with us. Uh, thanks to Harvey and Kevin. That, again, is how you do it. That's how you do it. Good work, gentlemen. That's going to do it for today. If you need great uh, financial help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG when you're ready to get serious about your money. That's going to do it for this one. Lots of people to thank, but you know what? We'll let Doug do his job. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Yep, no problem. I got this, Joe. First, take some advice from Austin Cleon. Keeping going with your mission is sometimes hard, so establish a daily routine and work like every day is Groundhog's Day. Before you know it, you're creating greatness. Second, are you excited about the new legislation working its way through Congress? Don't be until it actually becomes a law. Then, and only then, talk to the smart people in your corner about how it changes your plan. But the big lesson... 
don't offer to wear the plaid sweater vest at the Sizzler with Gertrude. Apparently, some people will only hang out with you if you wear quote-unquote normal clothes. You know what that means. Looks like I'm getting back into my Speedo. See ya! Special thanks to Austin Cleon for joining us. You'll find Austin's tour schedule at his website, austincleon.com. The dude's got a tour schedule? What a rock star. Hey, go say hello and tell him you heard him here on my show. Plus, you can buy his book, Keep Going, wherever books are sold. Thanks also to Chris Spence from TIAA for joining us today. For more on TIAA, head to TIAA.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. And thanks to all 3,000 of you who sent me all those accolades about my new podcast. I mean, you're sending flowers and money and... One person even sent pork rinds. But anyways, this new podcast called Doug's Super Hilarious Joke of the Week, you're going to find it wherever you're listening to us right now, except it's in the funny corner of all those places you download the podcast. See ya! This is going to be weird. Here's a movie we talked about at the end of last year that OG was excited about. He showed me the trailer. And Joe was excited. Well, I got excited about it because, A, you were excited about it. Then we actually, live here on the show, watched the trailer together. Like, I played the trailer. Yeah. And everybody listened to it. I listened to it. Obviously, because we're here in the basement, I got to even watch it. I'm sure a bunch of people went and watched this trailer. So geeked. I actually told you, hey, that movie's out now. Yeah, I knew it was. I just hadn't had the ah. time yet to get it. So I so we're finally able to get it. Let's remind people about this movie. This is a uh, made-for-Netflix movie called Triple Frontier. I have never had a feeling as pure or proud as completing a mission with all of you. Everything we've done for the last 17 years, trying to make a difference. And we never took a dime. You've been shot five times for your country, and you can't even afford to send your kids to college. 
I got a job for you. I'm retired. Fish? I need a pilot. I got the new baby now. This can change you and that baby's life forever. We finally get to use our skills for our own benefit. All right. Let's do it. So with that, all these operatives, after Oscar Isaac's character talks them into it, these gentlemen who are all um, uh, a former, very experienced military operative, apparently all in some ways special agents. In some, they, they don't get specific about what everybody was, but they do kind of dig into the fact that these guys weren't doing your average straightforward missions. They were always doing stuff that was kind of dark. They all get together and decide that they're going to rob this drug lord in Central America of a bunch of money that he's supposedly keeping in his house. Uh, Oscar Isaac's character has a uh, has a mole who goes into that house and knows where the money is. And it's it's a pretty amazing story. Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, uh, Charlie Hunnam, Garrett Hedlund. Pedro Pascal. These are all people you've seen before in, mm-hmm. in, in movies. Dude from Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Ben Affleck, of course. Good, good crew. Cool previews leading up to it. What'd you think, man? This is such a bait and switch, isn't it? We got it all built up. I think the same thing you thought. Stay away from this movie. Totally stay away. God, from this it movie. was bad. It's so bad. I won't go. So bad. I won't go that far. Cause I will say this. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Once you're in it, you want to know what happens next. I didn't. You, oh, you didn't. I did the didn't care. entire didn't care. time I wanted to know what didn't happened care. next. Cheryl watched it with me. She was leaning forward the first half of the movie as they're getting ready to go into the drug lord's house going, they're all going to die. They're all going to die. I do have to say this. I thought the movie was just about over at the halfway mark, didn't you? At the 42-minute mark of the movie, it's about two hours and 10 minutes, I think. Yeah. So about 42 minutes in, I'm like, okay, I, I need to go get something to drink because I'm about falling asleep. Like, I, I, I'm like, where are we go? Like, get to it. Get going. We were just oh about at that God. point when I hit the, because uh, because we have Netflix on, you know, through the Xbox. So yeah. I hit the Xbox controller just to have the time come up. And I'm like, oh my God, this movie's only halfway done. <laughs> Like there's no, there's no way. Not even. Yeah. There's no way this big scene at the, in the middle is going to be the end of the little, like I said, oh, there's going to be some stuff coming because this is not going to be it, but it takes forever to set up the first, to set up the first scene. And it's not even that good. It's, it's tactically not correct. It's operationally flawed. Like I can't even like suspend disbelief because these guys are supposed to be super awesome to use your word, secret agents. But um, obviously the the kind of ringleader of this works for the CIA. You know, these guys were all special forces guys and they make all these tactical problems and have all these tactical errors that would never really happen. Anyway, it's, uh, it's just so bad. Yeah, there's it's a so bad. There's do a, not see this movie. There's a scene at the end of the movie where they all do something that's supposed to be really magnanimous and show yeah. their togetherness. And Cheryl, I think, hit it on the head probably for all of us. She said, that would have been really cool if I cared about any of these characters at all. (laughs) Like it would have been the very end where they're like, hey, so what are you going to do? And he like talks about like where he's going to go because, you know, the the other 
relationship that he has. Yes. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. He had a girlfriend. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Weird. Which okay. is never fully defined or built on or anything. You never feel any real spark for them. No. Um, the beginning all. starts out that way where you're like, okay, yes. all right, they got a thing. Oh, that okay, first so. scene? The first scene is a great scene. Yeah. It's a like great scene. You can kind of tell they're looking at each other. She's kind of standing there. He's standing there. It feels like they know each other. And then something happens. You're like, okay, maybe they don't. She was just sizing them up, whatever. God, it was so bad. Cheryl, this movie sucks. Cheryl Do and not I, see this movie. Yeah, Cheryl and I agreed on two other things. Ben Affleck in this film, again, not good. Don't care. Not good. Just, just it's it's Ben Affleck being Ben Affleck. There is, there's it's not even. It's Ben Affleck mailing yeah. it in, mailing it in. Yeah, it's like what are you eleven million for this? But also at the same time, Oscar Isaac in a horrible movie again proves to me what a great actor that dude is. Yeah, I thought he was good in that. Um, what was that uh, Argentinian movie where he had to go get the. The Nazi uh, colonel or whatever. Yeah, uh, which was also a bad movie. I didn't think it was that bad. No, no, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't awesome, but I. I liked him in Ex Machina. You remember how much I liked that movie? Of course, that was I was him. Okay, yeah, yeah, of yeah. Co- of course, I like him in Star Wars. I thought it was he's fantastic in Star Wars. Inside uh, Lewin Davis, the Coen Brothers movie, he's fantastic yeah. in that. Uh, he's, he's so Compared to the movie that we talked about last, last time, Hell or High Water or this one, Hell or High Water is 7,000 times better. Yeah. I really go watch that one. Really, really, really want to see that good stuff. All right, bro. Tater chip. I will see you in two days. That's it. See you Friday. See ya. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. Of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.